You're listening to the Sub-25 Podcast. Sub-25 is the college and young adult ministry of Gardendale First Baptist Church. Our mission is to see the college campuses, workplaces, and communities around Birmingham changed by the power of the gospel. Here's this week's message. Amen. Hey, as you uh, find your seat, go ahead and turn to the uh, little book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So thankful for our worship team for leading us in worship. And we say this often, but I, but I hope that you meant the words that you sang tonight. And I think they're very applicable to what we're talking about. We're kicking off a new series called The Return. And so for me, as I was seeing some of the lyrics on the screen, talking about how, how my name is registered in heaven. And I don't know if you could sing that with confidence and boldness, knowing that you are secure eternally because of what Jesus has done for you. And and when we talk about the return, I'm not talking about your tax returns or the return of Blazer football last year. We're talking about the return of Christ. And what we want to do is over the next few weeks, we want to take the return of Christ. And we want to bring that to the forefront of our minds and see how that affects our daily lives. If you're new to Christianity or if church is kind of new to you, uh, understand that as Christians, we believe that Jesus is the perfect son of God and that he came roughly 2,000 years ago and he walked on this earth and he lived a perfect life and he went to a cross and he died. Uh, He rose again. He ascended to heaven. But the Bible would teach that he is coming again. And and in some of the songs we sang, we, we, we talked about that or we sang about that. So we believe that Jesus is coming again. That could be tonight. That'd be pretty incredible for some of us. Uh, It could be tomorrow. It could be many, many years from now. We see that in the early church, guys like Paul, they lived as if Christ could come back at any moment. Imagine if Christ could come back and he can. How would it affect how you live tonight or tomorrow? And so we want to bring that to the forefront of our mind uh, over the next few weeks because what we see in this little letter that Paul writes that he mentions the coming of Christ multiple times. And I think that obviously because it's in uh, God's word and it's in the text that we're looking at tonight, but also when we look at what our world is going through and the chaos that seems to abound, there are many of us that would say, is, is Christ coming again soon is that is that moment soon and so I want us to begin thinking about this so let's catch us up to speed first Thessalonians chapter 2 is where we're going to be and we'll look at several things tonight but Paul was a missionary and in Acts 17 we see that he went to a place called Thessalonica and he boldly proclaimed the message of the gospel Uh, the message that we just sang he was telling them about it he was preaching the scripture he was pointing them to Christ and we see that uh, in Acts 17 that 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 he was in Thessalonica and many of these people came to know Christ and he was really he was really only with them for about three weeks and then he had to leave because persecution was escalating and some people said, Paul, you've got to get out of here. So they got him out of there. And Paul, he's, he's longing to be back in Thessalonica. And what we see here is that this letter is really Paul writing to these people that he had to leave. Uh, he wishes that he could be with them, but we see that this letter is what he sent to them. And we see Paul's heart. And we're going to pick up tonight, starting in verse 17. Uh, we'll read a few verses and then we will uh, begin to unpack this. But starting in uh, chapter 2, verse 17. Uh, Paul writes, but we, brethren, he's, he's talking about the Thessalonians, the, the believers, brethren, their family because they've received Jesus Christ, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, 
endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Would you pray with me? Father, as we unpack your word, as we seek to explore what you would have for us tonight, we pray that you would speak to us and teach us. Lord, I pray that we would not just walk out of this room with knowledge, but that we would be transformed having had an encounter with you and your word. And so speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, tonight, uh, we're going to see that Paul had a heart for people, specifically the people of Thessalonica. But I believe that this is really the, the heart that Paul had for, for all people, those that he was ministering to. Uh, and I believe that Paul's heart for people was directly connected to his understanding of Christ's coming, the, the fact that Christ would come again. And, and, and here's my prayer for us tonight. That is that the reality of Christ's uh, return would compel us to love people well. Uh, again, if you don't get anything else, and that's going to be a point that I'll share in just a minute, but if you don't get anything else, my prayer is that, that the, the reality of Christ's return would compel us to love people well. Loving people well is one of the greatest investments that we can make. Now, many of us, we've made some investments this week or this year. Uh, some of you are investing in an education, and you're realizing that an education is pretty expensive. And you're hoping that the return is a good payoff, that you can get a job. Uh, hopefully a good paying job so that you can pay for all the school that you had to pay for. Uh, some of you, that's the investment that you're, that you're making. Some of you, uh, maybe you like to dabble in uh, investments. Uh, you feel like an adult because you're on the stock market and you're investing some money and you're looking at it and you're trying to see if it goes up, if it goes down. And some of you, maybe you've made some money. Some of you, maybe you've lost some money because you don't know what you're doing. It's okay. Um, here's the thing. It's an investment, and you're hoping to get a return. Um, we, we, we make these kind of investments. Some, some of you, you've invested a lot in your social media account, taking some cool pictures. You got the return is that there's some more people that follow you. You don't know who they are, but, man, they're following you. We do this. We, we invest in things, and we want a return on that investment. But, but I can guarantee you this. There is no greater investment that you could make than investing in people. And, and not just pouring random things into people, not doing random kind acts to people. That's great to do. Do it. But I'm talking about the things that, that we see in Scripture where we're, where we're pouring Christ's love into people. We're pointing them to Christ. We're, we're loving them to Christ. We're showing them what it looks like to follow Christ and, and to trust in him. And this is what Paul did. I, I truly believe he did this, and I believe it was connected to his understanding that Christ is coming again. Look at verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in hearts, Endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. I've got four main points tonight. Point number one, Christ's coming compels us to love people well. Again, this is kind of overarching the whole night. Christ's coming compels us to love people well. Can you see the love that Paul had for these people? 
Now, now he didn't just love them because they were believers. He loved them even when they were unbelievers. That's why he went to them. But then they came to know Christ and he said, man, I'm not with you, but my heart is there. I don't know if you've ever told somebody that, somebody that you miss. Hey, I'm with you. My heart's there, but you're not physically there. That's what Paul said. He wants to be there. He wants to spend time with them. Uh, Paul, Paul wanted to hug their necks. He wanted to laugh with them. He wanted to study the scriptures with them. He wanted to pray with them. He wanted to encourage them. They are new believers. They, they, they needed somebody to show them what it looks like to grow in maturity. And Paul is longing to be with them. He's committed to them. That's really what we see that love is. Love is not the warm fuzzies. Some of us think that love is just a, a warm feeling that I have when I get, because I see somebody I like. No, no, no. Paul was committed this is the love that Christ loves us with. He's committed to us, and Paul is committed to them. He wants to get back to them. He's loving them well. Sets a great example for us of what it looks like to love people well, to commit to people. Uh, we're in, a, obviously, a, a weird year, and uh, many of our mission trips had to be canceled. We had many mission trips planned. Some of you, some of you are going to go on these trips. Places like Uganda, Greece, India. We had a, a, a trip planned for Phoenix in March that we had to cancel just a few weeks before it happened. Many, many mission trips. There are partners that we've been able to talk with over the phone or maybe email, and, and we can't get to them. And man, it's hard. It's been hard for many people in our church because we want to be there with them. We want to encourage them. We, we, we want to be together and we want to grow together. We want to help in, in the ministry that's taking place. And, and this is how Paul feels. He wants to be there. He wants to be there. He wants to spend time with them. He loves them dearly. Verse 18, he says, therefore, we wanted to come to you. So Paul's heart was, man, I got to get back to Thessalonica. I've got to get back to these people. We are spiritual brothers and sisters. I want to see them. I want to love them. I want to help them grow. I want to encourage them. He said, we wanted to come to you. Even I, Paul, time and time again. Paul's obviously with a few other guys, Timothy and Silas. But Satan hindered us. See, Paul wanted to see the, the Thessalonians. He, he wanted to spend time with them. But, but notice that he said, Satan hindered us. Now, now understand that Satan is not an imaginary evil force that exists in our world. Scripture would suggest that Satan is a created being. Uh, when God created him, he was an angelic being that worshiped God. He rebelled against God. And now he seeks to, to lead everybody else to rebel against God as well. And we see that, that in Scripture, he's, he's, he's trying to devour you. He wants to, he wants to steal your joy. He wants to destroy you. This is what he does. So not only Christ's coming, we see that not only it compels us to love people well, but understand this, Christ's coming motivates Satan to oppose God's people. Now, we've talked about this before, about the reality of opposition when we follow Christ. But all throughout the Bible, we see different kind of tactics that Satan uses to fight against God and to fight against his people. And I believe in our passage here, in verse 18, we see one of those tactics. Because Paul says, Satan hindered us. According to Paul, Satan made it impossible for him to get to God's people. So one of Satan's tactics is he wants to isolate you. Think about this. We have some new believers in Thessalonica. 
Persecution arises, which would be the doing, uh, the works of evil led out by Satan himself and his demonic force. Persecution is arising. It's leading Paul and others to have to separate from Thessalonica, and they want to get back. But Satan hindered them. Satan didn't want the Thessalonians strengthened by Paul. He didn't want them encouraged by the word of God. He didn't want them growing in maturity. He wanted to separate them. He wanted to disconnect them physically. Because when God's people are together physically, there is something that God does that he doesn't do when we're disconnected. We see it in the New Testament where God calls out people and they committed to gathering regularly, to spending time with one another. And call me crazy, but I believe that during this COVID time that Satan has used it to disconnect people. Some of you probably know people right now that are going through some extremely hard mental battles because they've been disconnected. God did not create us to be disconnected. And God didn't design the church, believers, to be disconnected. But Satan understands that if he can separate people, if he can isolate people, then he can begin to work them down. And he can't force somebody to do something, but you know what he can do? He can tempt them, and he can plant some seeds that can begin to grow as he did in Genesis chapter 3. And so we see that Satan, he, he loves to isolate people, but he also wants to deceive people. Isolation is one thing. Some of you have probably had to be in isolation. But when we're isolated long enough, we see that the road is paved for deception. If you flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says this, For this reason, when I could no longer endure it. I mean, their heart is hurting because they want to know the condition of the people in Thessalonica. They want to make sure they're okay. He said, well, we can no longer endure it. I sent to know your faith. So a messenger was sent, and his name was Timothy. Lest by some means... The tempter, that is Satan, had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. So what Paul understood is that the isolation that they were experiencing in Thessalonica could easily lead to temptation. It could easily lead to, de to deception. Again, perhaps you've been there. Maybe times in your life where there weren't many people and you felt isolated and crazy thoughts began to enter into your mind and you began to be deceived into believing something that wasn't true. I believe that this is the work of the enemy. Uh, there's a movie that's on just about uh, every week at our house, sometimes multiple times a week. You've probably seen it. It's called Lion King. It's a great movie. Great movie. If you hadn't seen it, go watch it. Uh, I, have, I assume you've seen it. But in this movie, the villain, Scar, he manages to, to use Simba to get what he wants. It's interesting that Scar understands what should happen in the future. But he wants to, he wants to rebel against that. He wants to prevent what's supposed to happen in the future from happening. So what we see is that there are moments in the movie where, where Scar, he gets, he gets Simba alone. He isolates him and then he begins to communicate to him. And it's in those moments of isolation that then there's deception and Simba begins to believe some of the words that Scar has to say. Now, in the moments when Simba is with his father, the isolation is not there because his father's there and the deception is not there because his father is there to point him to truth. But those moments of isolation are connected to deception and 
In the movie, we see that for a time being, Scar got what he wanted. He, he, he messed up the future a little bit. And this is how our enemy, Satan, works. See, he knows what's in the future. He knows that, 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 that Christ will come again, that judgment will come upon him. But what he wants to do is to rebel, and he wants you to rebel. And he wants to have an army of people that would, that would go against God's word, they would go against God's ways, and he wants to isolate you. He wants to set you apart to disconnect you. He wants to deceive you. He also wants to keep some of you from getting to some people who are isolated. And that's what he did in Paul's life. That Paul wanted to get to some people. Why? Because he loved them. Why? Because he understood the reality of the word connected to Christ coming again. But Satan also knowing that said, nope, not going to let you get to those people. Let's keep reading. Verse 19. So, so Paul in chapter 2 he said, Satan kept us. But verse 19 he says, for what is our hope? or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? It's really a rhetorical question. He, he, he's, he's questioning, he's throwing out a question, but he's, he's letting them know the answer is, is, is yes, this is true. He says, for you are our glory and joy. So, Paul understands that Christ is going to come back and Paul is proud to stand before God knowing what Christ has done in his life and knowing that he has been obedient and that Christ has worked through him to change the Thessalonians. And Paul is excited about Christ's return because of this. He's excited about this. Now, Point number three, Christ's coming will mean rejoicing for some and regret for others. Christ's coming will mean rejoicing for some and regret for others. To understand more fully what Paul is referring to, we need to understand what will take place when Christ returns. Now, let me pause right here and say that when we begin to have a conversation about Christ's coming and the return, we get into a very complex uh, discussion. And if there's some things that I say in just a moment that don't make sense to you, please talk to me after. If I confuse you in any way, sometimes I'm pretty good at that. So come talk to me and I, I will gladly try to straighten some things out. But, but here's what we need to understand. And Christ, uh, uh, Paul understands this. So uh, after Christ's return, we see that there are two different judgments that will take place. There's two different judgments. One is the judgment seat of Christ. And two is the great white throne judgment. All peoples will either stand at the judgment seat of Christ or at the great white throne judgment. Now hang with me for a moment. The great white throne judgment, if you want to write down Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, we read about this, this judgment. And this is a judgment for those who do not receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That when Christ comes back, there will be a moment in the future when they will stand before God and they will be judged for their sins. But only those at this judgment would be those who have rejected Jesus. They, they've rejected the gift of salvation. They, they, they've rejected that. And according to verse 15 in Revelation chapter 20, those that are at this judgment, their names are not found written in the book of life. 
So as we sang earlier and when we declared, my name is registered in heaven, not everybody's name is registered in heaven. Only those who through the blood of Jesus Christ have received the gift of salvation, which is free and it's available to each and every one of you. But only those who receive that gift, only their name is written in the book of life. And according to verse 15 in Revelation chapter 20, those who are not written in that book will be cast into the lake of fire. And we see that this is called the second death. It's a very fearful thought to think that there will be people who rejected God, they rejected his word, and they must pay for their sins. God's word teaches that the payment, the wages of sin is death. And in this moment, those who rejected Jesus will begin to pay for theirs. Now, when Paul first arrived to Thessalonica, he knew that these people were not Christians. So he understood that if they were to die or if Christ would return, they would have to stand at this judgment and they would be pronounced guilty because they sinned against a holy and righteous God. But as Paul began to preach Jesus and as he began to teach and explain the gospel message, people began to trust in Jesus for salvation. They began to understand that Jesus can pay for our sin. That on the cross, Jesus took the punishment that you and I deserve. And in this moment, they came to life. We sang about that. They went from death to life. And Paul was compelled to love and to share the hope of the gospel with them. And so no longer would they have to go to the great white throne. But Paul mentions in the verse that we just read in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Verse 19, he mentioned Christ's coming, and he talks about a crown of rejoicing. I mentioned the judgment seat of Christ. This is a judgment that only believers will go to. The great white throne judgment for unbelievers, the judgment seat of Christ for believers. Now, don't be misunderstood. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your sins have already been judged. And so at this judgment, you won't stand before Christ wondering if you're going to die and go to hell or if you'll be with him for all eternity. What we see in scripture is that this is really a moment where the Christian is judged for their service to Christ. And we'll look at a few passages to see this. If you want to jot these down or listen to me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, listen to what Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, therefore, we make it our aim. He's saying we, believers, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, the Father. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, this fleshly body here on earth, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I've told people in the past, this is somewhat like an award ceremony where there will be some who for their faithful service to Jesus Christ will be eternally rewarded. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, Paul writes again, he says, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones... Wood, hay, straw, each one's work, and he's referring to believers here, each one's work will become clear, for the day will 
declare it because it will be revealed by fire. Imagine these substances, these materials, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. They will be tested by the fire of what sort it is. Verse 14, if anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, gold would endure, silver would endure, precious stones would endure, wood will not endure, straw, nope, hay, mm mm-mm. It says, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so as through the fire. So the day that Paul is referring to is the judgment seat of Christ, a moment that will take place when Christ returns. And Paul says in verse 13 that this, that this judgment At this judgment, fire will test the works that we worked out here on this earth. And so understand what what, what I'm communicating here is that as believers, there are some of us that, man, we we are trusting in God and we are leaning on him and we're believing in him and we're we're following the leading of his Holy Spirit and God is working things out of, of us. And it's as if we're casting up gold, silver, and precious stones. And there's coming a day when when the fires of, of this judgment will reveal our works. And some will remain. And it leads to eternal reward. But there are also believers, and, and, and you probably know many, who are saved. Praise God. Praise God they're saved through Jesus, not of works. It's through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. They're saved, but they're not living for Christ. They're living for themselves. And it's as if they are, they're they're casting up straw and, and, and hay and wood. And there will come a day when their works will be tested by the fire. And they will realize that they wasted their life here on earth. It's possible to be a Christian and go through life and get to heaven and understand, I wasted my life. That will take place for some Christians. They will be ashamed at the coming of the Lord Jesus because they trusted in Christ for salvation, but they didn't allow Christ to work through them. And we're seeing that in this passage. So this means that at the judgment seat of Christ, many will be encouraged because of what Christ did through them. It wasn't them, it was Christ working through them. But then there will be some that Christ desired to work through them, but because of their decisions to live a selfish, self-centered life, they'll be embarrassed. There will be some regrets as they give an account to some of the things that they did as a believer. So Paul, we see here that, that he's been living in obedience to Christ, and so he's excited when Christ is coming. He's excited at that because he knows that he's been living in obedience. He's boasting in this. He's not boasting in his own works. He's boasting in what Christ has done in him. And he's, he's excited that one day Christ is going to come. And man, these Thessalonians, because of what God has done through Paul in their lives, I mean, they are a crown of rejoicing to him. They are glory to him. It is encouraging to Paul to know that his obedience to God, the Spirit has worked through him. And he mentions this crown of rejoicing. And if we look at the New Testament, we actually see 
that there are five crowns mentioned, these futuristic crowns that are available to believers. Let me, let me just go through these quickly. I'll give you the reference. You can look up these. Uh, we see the crown of righteousness mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. This is a crown for those who love the appearing of the Lord Jesus. Do, do you long for that day? Do you long for the day that, that, that Christ would appear? If you don't long for it, <laughs> you're not going to get that crown. I can assure you that that crown is for those who, man, they understand what Jesus has done and that, and that has affected them so much that they can't wait to the day that Jesus returns. And they'll be given a crown of righteousness. We see that there is a crown of life mentioned in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 and James chapter 1, verse 12. The crown of life is for those who love Christ and they lay down their life when overcoming temptation facing persecution throughout history we see that there have been many people who because of their love for Christ and their faithfulness to follow him that it has led to their death it has led to some form of persecution and scripture suggests that they will be given a crown of life we also see that there is an incorruptible crown mentioned in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25. For, for those who are faithful to follow Christ, they, they live a sacrificial life, self-controlled, spirit-led. And these people are living in obedience to God's call on their life. And they're following Christ step after step through Christ's strength. And that is a crown they'll receive. We see that there is a crown of glory mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. And this crown is for those who shepherd and pastor people in the word of God. I don't know if any of you have had opportunities to lead Bible studies in the past. Maybe you're doing that now. If you do that faithfully, spirit-led, through Christ's strength, a crown of glory will be given you. And then lastly, the crown of rejoicing that Paul just mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. And it is for those who are a faithful witness of Jesus. Uh, th this is a person who leads people to Christ. And this crown of rejoicing is given to those who faithfully proclaiming who Jesus is. And Paul knows that he will receive this crown because of what Christ has worked in him. And these crowns and eternal rewards are ultimately accomplished by Jesus Christ in you. There will be no boasting at this judgment seat of Christ. There will be glory given to Jesus for what he has done in and through you. And many of you right now, man, you rejoice because you recognize what God has done in your life and what God is doing through you. And this will be a great celebration for many, but not for all. They'll be a little bit disappointed on some of the things that they did not do. And of course, we understand that, that in heaven, there's no more pain and no more tears. There's a time for that. This is before that. That passage is later on. The judgment seat of Christ is before that. And there's some things that we don't understand about this, but we see throughout scripture where we will give an account to how we lived our life. And so hear me, I am not suggesting that you can work to earn your salvation. Not a chance. It's a gift of God. But as a believer, if we faithfully submit to Christ and we follow him, Scripture suggests that there are eternal rewards that are a result of Christ working through us. Lastly, point number four, Christ's coming 
urges us to make sure others are ready. All right, we're about to do a very fast run through chapter three. I know some of you are like, are we going to go through the whole thing? Yes, but hang tight. It, it, it won't take long at all. Look at verses one. Therefore, we could no longer endure it. We thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you. So, so they were separated and they said, we got to get Timothy so that they, he can establish these believers and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know, Paul and these guys, they are concerned about other people. They love these people so much. They want to make sure that those people are ready for Christ's coming. And they're thinking about him. They're praying for him. And they say, Timothy, you're from a Greek dad. You'll blend in a little bit better. Why don't you go and you can encourage them. You can establish them. Verse five, for this reason, when I can no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. When's the last time you were just in anguish wondering, man, how's my brother and sister in Christ doing? How are they doing? Are, 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 they, are they doing okay? When's the last time you just prayed earnestly for a brother or sister in Christ? This is what they were doing. Uh, Paul says, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you. He was concerned, man, I don't want these guys to slip up. I don't want them to fall. I don't want them to, to throw away what we began, what Christ began in their life. Paul knew that Satan was going to fight against them. He was going to try to deceive them. Verse six, but now that Timothy has come to us from you. So they sent Timothy. He encouraged them. He established them. He came back. He reported and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you all Always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also see you. Therefore, brethren, in our affliction, in our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. As Paul's writing this letter, he is, he is afflicted. He is, he is distressed because of persecution for faith. But guess what? He's encouraged. He's encouraged because of what God is doing in their life. Do you see how he's loving these people? He's co committed to them. Verse 9, for what thanks can we render to God for you? Hey, man, man we want to thank God for what he's done in your life. For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. Night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your faith and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Paul is saying, man, we want to see you. We want to encourage you. We want to make sure that you're growing. We want to make sure that you're okay. We want to make sure that you're taken care of. We want to make sure that you're not struggling with anything, that you're not deceived by anything, that you're not believing any lies. Verse 11, this is the prayer that Paul prays. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Lord, send us back there. Verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and to all, just as we do to you. Again, the love that he has so that, don't miss this, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. 
we see here that the main reason Paul cared so much for this group is he wanted to make sure they were ready for Christ's coming. He, makes, he wanted to make sure that they were ready. He knew that it could happen at any moment. He wanted to make sure that they were ready. 